And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is March the 15th, the Ides of March. 74th day of the year. 291 days remain till the year's over with. And it's uh, some interesting holidays today. It's World Contact Day. Are they real? Are they from outer space? This is uh, allegedly a day set aside for contemplating the fact we're not alone. And it's True Confessions Day. If you got something to confess, don't plead the fifth. Go ahead and do it. National Brutus Day. Uh often reviled uh, Marcus Junius Brutus Minor, known simply as Brutus, uh, memorialized in the phrase, E2, Bruto. Well, he was a slayer of kings and a betrayer of friends. I know a whole bunch of those around here. Uh... National Brutus Day is supposed to remind us that even in this modern age, betrayal, subterfuge, and backstabbing is still alive and well. See a lot of that in Congress. World Speech Day, Buzzards Day, National Napping Day, which I'm going to do when the show is over, World Consumer Rights Day, March Madness, a day dedicated to a game. Running up and down the court with a ball. Universal Women's Week. Sleep Awareness Week. Pulmonary Rehabilitation Week. And then, of course, we have the the months that I've talked about in every show so far this month, such as National Nutrition Month and National Women's History Month. You know, it's uh, fascinating to... Uh, to see how people react to various things. 474 B.C., Roman consul Avlus Manlius Volso celebrates an ovation for conducting the war against Valley and securing a 40 years truce, which is probably not worth much more than a truce today would be worth. 44 B.C., the assassination of Julius Caesar takes place on the Ides of March. Interestingly enough, a uh, seer had told him to beware the Ides of March. 493, Odoacer, first barbarian king of Italy after the fall of the Western Roman Empire, is killed by Theodoric the Great, king of the Ostrogoths, while the two kings were feasting together. That's a great dessert. You know, the Western Roman Empire had hired Odoacer um, and his uh, Goss to um, work for them as mercenaries. But uh, unfortunately for everybody concerned, Odoacer uh, thought he'd be better as king. 856, Michael III, Emperor of the Byzantine Empire, overthrows the regency of his mother, Empress Theodora, with the support of the Byzantine nobility. The uh, 
The Byzantine Empire, for those that are not familiar, was the Eastern Roman Empire. The Roman Empire got so large that they divided into two. 897, um, El-Hadi, Ila, Yahai, and Saddam founds the Zaydi Imamate of Yemen. Uh, 33, after a 10 years truce, German King Henry the Fowler defeats a Hungarian army at the Battle of Riada near the uh, Unstrut River. 1311, Battle of Hamios, the Catalan Company, defeats Walter uh, V, Count of uh, Brienne, to take uh, control of the Duchy of Athens, one of the Crusader, Crusader states in Greece. The uh, 1672, King Charles II of England issues the Royal Declaration of Indulgence, granting uh, limited religious freedom to all Christians. Now, we spend so much time worrying about religion. We have had civilizations destroyed because of religion, or in the name of religion. We've had unbelievable number of people killed in the name of religion. 1783, an emotional speech in Newburgh, New York. George Washington asked his officers not to support the Newburgh conspiracy. Uh, that was uh, the Newburgh conspiracy was actually going to be a coup d'état, but uh, Washington's officers um, agreed to support him, and uh, the coup d'état never took place. 1820, Maine is admitted as the 23rd U.S. state. Um, 1823, Sailor Benjamin Morrell erroneously reported the existence of the island of New South Greenland near Antarctica. 1848, a revolution breaks out in Hungary and the Habsburg rulers are compelled to meet the demands of the Reform Party. 1874, France and Vietnam signed the Second Treaty of Saigon further recognizing full sovereignty of France over Cochin, China. Uh, 1875, Archbishop of New York, John McCloskey, is named the first cardinal in the United States. Um, 1888, start of the Anglo-Tibetan War of 1888. Took place on this date. 1907, the first parliamentary elections of Finland uh, are held. At that point in time, it was the Grand Duchy of Finland. 1917, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia abdicates the Russian throne, ending the 304-year Romanov dynasty. He was murdered shortly after that. 1918, Finnish Civil War. The Battle of Tempira begins. 1919, Ukrainian War of Independence. The Kontravedka is established as the counterintelligence division of the Revolutionary Insurgent Army of Ukraine. 1921, Talat Pasha, former Grand Vizier of the Ottoman Empire and chief architect of the Armenian Genocide, is assassinated in Berlin by a 23-year-old Armenian, Sughoman Telurian. 1922, after Egypt gains nominal independence from the United Kingdom, Fahd I becomes King of England of Egypt. 1927, the first women's boat race between the University of Oxford and the University of Cambridge takes place on the ISIS in uh, Oxford. 1939, Germany occupied Czechoslovakia. 
Also on that same date, Carpatho, Ukraine, declares itself an independent republic, but is annexed by Hungary the very next day. 1943, Third Battle of Kharkiv. Germans retake the city of Kharkiv uh, from the Soviet armies. 1951, Iranian oil industry is nationalized. Also in 1961, at the 1961 Commonwealth Prime Minister's Conference, South Africa announces a withdrawal from the Commonwealth when the South African Constitution of 1961 comes into effect. 1965, President Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson, responding to the Selma crisis, tells Congress we shall overcome while advocating the Voting Rights Act. 1974, 15 people are killed when Sterling Airways Flight 901, a Sud Aviation Caravel, catches fire during following a landing gear collapse of the Mirabad International Airport in Tehran, Iran. 1978, Somalia and Ethiopia signed a truce to end the Ethio-Somali uh, War. 1986, collapse at Hotel New World. 33 people die when the Hotel New World in Singapore collapses. The building just collapsed. 1990, Mikhail Gorbachev was elected the first president of the Soviet Union. 1991, the treaty on the final settlement with respect to Germany comes into effect, granting full sovereignty to the Federal Republic of Germany. 2008, stockpiles of obsolete ammunition exploded an ex-military ammunition depot in the village of Gerdik, Albania, killing 26 people. 2011, beginning of the Syrian civil war. 2019, on this date, 51 people are killed in the Christchurch mosque shootings. 2019, beginning of the 2019-2020 Hong Kong protest. Um... Also on this date, 2019, which shows you how many stupid people there are in the world. About 1.4 million young people in 123 countries go on strike to protest climate change. And do you think the climate listened? No. 2022, the 2022 Sri Lankan protest began amidst the Sri Lankan economic collapse. See, what... what Climate change has been going on since there's been a planet. We've gone from ice ages to everything else you can imagine. So protesting is a complete and total waste of time. Um, I just read a study a couple of days ago. One of the big things affecting climate change is moose. Should we run out and kill all the moose or mice? What is plural moose? Mooses? You know, the, the, the problem is we've got people who live their lives in their mother's basement who don't understand the first thing about how the world really works, and they want to be in charge. They're called leftist. Well, we've been talking about um, unsolved murders. And there's been a lot of them. And in spite of the advances made in forensic sciences, there are still numerous unsolved murder happening every week. The uh, we got another one that's called uh, 
the skeleton in the woods. More than 75 years have passed since a woman's skeleton was found stuffed inside a, uh, an elm tree in a park in Worcestershire in England during World War II. Now, following this discovery, graffiti was seen asking the question, who put Bella in the witch elm? And it started to appear all around the district. And, of course, there were conspiracy theories and other theories of uh, German spies and witchcraft rituals uh, that kept this legend alive. And the strange and sinister tale of Bella still fascinates armchair detectives uh, the world over. Despite a lengthy and allegedly complete police investigation and a plethora of plausible theories, the identities of the of the woman nicknamed Bella and her killer still remain a mystery. Now, the story actually begins in a somewhat dramatic fashion. As darkness was falling, April 18, 1943, four teenage boys were walking through Hagley Woods. And a stretch of woodland was uh, situated on the grounds of the Hagley Hall estate that it belonged to uh, Lord uh, Cobham. Four boys, Bob Hart, Tom Willits, Fred Payne, and Bob Farmer, were actually trespassing. But braving the dangers of getting caught by an angry gamekeeper, they were looking for some excitement to take their minds off the nightly German Luftwaffe bombing raids that were causing all kinds of chaos and confusion in Birmingham, which was their hometown. They had their dogs with them, and... They were hoping to supplement their family's uh, skimpy meat ration with a poached rabbit or two. And after a while, Bob Farmer spotted a, a witch elm, named for its uh, strange appearance, and decided to climb up and hoping to find a bird's nest. I mean, after all, who's going to turn down some eggs if you got nothing else to eat? He climbed up and peeked down into the hollow trunk and a little glimmer of white convinced him he had hit the jackpot. That was a big egg. But the object lodged in the middle of that tree was not a bird's nest. Bob reached down and carefully pulled it out and found himself staring at a skull. Empty eye socket seemed to stare right back at him. First he thought the skull was out of an animal until he noticed uh, clumps of what looked like human hair hanging to it and crooked teeth protruding from its mouth. Well, as you might guess, he dropped the skull, fell out of the tree, and the four boys turned and ran, promising each other to never tell a soul about what they'd found. They didn't want to get in any trouble. Well, despite the promise they made, the, the seriousness of their find bothered 17-year-old Tom Willits. Shortly after he returned home, he told his parents about what he and his friends had found in Hagley Woods and the parents called the police. You just can't trust the parents. The area was soon cordoned off, and inside the ominous-looking tree, they found a, a woman's complete skeleton. Disturbingly, her hand was missing. The bones were sca uh, discovered scattered around the tree. A cheap imitation gold ring and size five-and-a-half blue crepe sole shoes were also found a short distance away. And scraps of... Poor quality clothing, a striped knitted cardigan, uh, cardigan, a 
cloth skirt with a zipper, a light blue belt hung from the bones, and pieces of taffeta fabric had been stuffed inside the mouth of the skull, indicating the victim had actually been suffocated. Medical examiner Professor James Webster concluded the woman was about 35 years old, had irregular teeth in her upper jaw, and light brown hair, and was just five feet tall. Also determined the woman had given birth to at least one child in her lifetime and estimated she'd been dead for about 18 months. Well, intriguingly, it, it turned out in July of 1941, a businessman and a school teacher had both reported hearing a woman scream coming out of Hangley Woods. Police went in and searched the area and didn't find anything, so they said. <laughs> Professor uh, Webster's findings convinced him that the Death of this unknown woman was murder, stating, I can't imagine a woman accidentally slipping in there, neither do I think it reasonable for a woman to crawl into that place to commit suicide. He also concluded the woman had been placed inside the hollow trunk before rigor mortis set in. Otherwise, the body would have been too stiff to have made it inside that narrow tree trunk. He also maintained the victim would most likely have been killed close to the spot where she was found. Otherwise, the killer would not have been uh, able to transport the body to the tree before rigor mortis set in. He said, he said it was an excellent place for the concealment of a murder. I think that indicates local knowledge. Certainly, you'd have to know where that tree was. Well, following the discovery in the, in the tree, Worcestershire police uh, contacted every dentist in the area, hoping to find one of them that would recognize the woman's distinctive protruding teeth. And they they went through some 3,000 missing person files to see if any of them matched the description of the deceased. Well, unfortunately, neither line of inquiry turned up any leads. The investigation then turned toward personal effects found at the scene. The crepe sole shoes were traced to the Waterfoot Company in Lancashire. Investigators were able to find the owners of all but six pairs, which had been sold from a market stall in Dudley. That was a town about 11 miles from uh, Birmingham. Complexity of the investigation caused the trail to become uh, colder with each passing week. Numerous tragedies of war uh, dis distracted the public and the police attention from the tree murder riddle. Uh, the woman remained unidentified, and the case was quietly forgotten about. And about six months later, mysterious graffiti began to appear in the area. First message, which was written in chalk on the side of a house in nearby Old Hill, appeared in late December '43 and said, uh, Who put Lubella down the witch elm? And this was the first time that a name had been connected to the deceased woman. Over the ensuing months, similar messages appeared, all apparently written by the same hand. The most well-known example appeared on the 200-year-old Witchberry obelisk in, at Hagley Hall. Some versions of the graffiti said, Who put Bella in the witch elm? Um, gradually, they took on the same word and the spelling form. The graffiti rang with the application that somebody knew who killed Bella. But appeals by police to find the, the artist were, as you might guess, unsuccessful. In the late 40s, new messages started to appear, asking the same question. So was this a clue, or were they taunting the police? The case became a whodunit that gripped the nation. 
combination of the mysterious messages and the lack of an identity for the victim prompted some really far-out theories. One notion that surfaced early on in the investigation was that Bella could have been the victim of a black magical ritual. According to anthropologist Professor Margaret Murray, the fact that Bella's hand was severed from her arm and the bones scattered uh, bore similarities to an occult ceremony known as the Hand of Glory. What they don't tell you about the Hand of Glory is you would take the hand, dip it in wax, put wicks on each finger, and if you broke into, a, let's say, a home, and you lift the hand, as long as the hand burned, nobody in the house would wake up. Professor Murray also concluded the, the murder was somehow connected to another case potentially involving witchcraft, and that was a murder in 1945 of 74-year-old Charles Walton who was stabbed and pinned to the ground with his own pitchfork in a nearby village of Lower Quinton. The murder remains uh, the longest unsolved murder in the Warwickshire police records. Developing the theory that witchcraft was involved, it was noted that the plant Belladonna, also known as Deadly Nightshade, and Witch Hazel were both widely associated with the occult, and according to local legend, so was Hagley Woods. The fact that Bella was entombed inside a tree rather than being buried also indicates it was a ritualistic type slaying, according to Professor Murray. The theory that Bella was executed for some crime against a coven quickly gathered steam and remains a favorite theory even today. Investigators working on the case uh, dismissed the theory, declaring the bones from Bella's hand had simply been scattered by animal predators. Of course, that would assume... Then when she was put into the tree, that hand, one hand was above her head. Otherwise, the animals couldn't have gotten to it. During World War II, several German spies were captured in the U.K. As a result, in 1953, the case of Bell and the Witch Elm attracted a new line of inquiry, espionage. The Wolverhampton Express and Star received a letter from somebody who identified herself only as Anna of uh, Claveroy. She claimed to have information concerning the identity of Bella and was interviewed by journalist Wilford Byford Jones. According to Anna, Bella was a member of her spy ring seeking information about the location of local munitions factories that had then been targeted by the Luftwaffe. Anna was later identified as Una Mossop, and she alleged that her RAF pilot husband, Jack Mossop, had witnessed Bella's death. She said that Musab told her he had become involved in a spy ring along with a Dutchman named Van Ralt. One evening, uh, Van Ralt, accompanied by a woman Musab believed to be Bella, had picked up Musab in his car. Shortly after that, Van Ralt strangled the woman, or this because of her spy associations. Another version of the story claims that Jack Musab and uh, Van Ralt had been drinking with Bella in a local pub when she became drunk and passed out. Two men then... Uh, to teach her a lesson, and probably as a prank, are supposed to place the woman inside the tree. When she woke up, she wasn't able to climb out, and she died. But this story doesn't explain the discovery of taffeta stuffed in her mouth. Whichever season a version was reported to the newspapers become uh, obscured by time, but what is known is that Jack Mossop died in St. George's Hospital in Stafford before Bella's body was discovered. Allegedly recurring nightmares of Bella's skull stuffed inside the tree uh, ultimately led to his mental breakdown. Van Ralt was never found, and investigators considered Mossop's testimony to be uh, nothing more than the hearsay from an estranged wife, told 12 years after the discovery of Bella.
In later years, a declassified MI5 files gave some weight to the spy theory. Files revealed information concerning a German spy named Joseph Jacobs, who was captured after breaking his ankle while parachuting into Cambridgeshire in 1941. After Jacobs' arrest, a creased photo of the infamous German actress and cabaret singer Clarence Bowler was found in his pocket. Jacobs told his interrogators that Bowler was his lover and that the Third Reich had recruited her as a spy. According to Jacobs, Borley uh, parachuted into West Midlands in 1941 and disappeared. So could Borley have been the woman that Una Mossop had mentioned? Joseph Jacobs was convinced of, convicted of espionage under the Treachery Act of 1940. He was never able to shed any more light on Burley's fate as he was executed by firing squad in August of 1941. Actually, the last person to be uh, executed at the Tower of London. However, it is certain that Clara Burley could not have been Bella for the simple reason that Bella was tall, about five foot ten, and Bella was uh, about five foot even. Finally, in 2016, it was discovered that Clara Burley had died in a Berlin hospital in December 1942. Alongside all these imaginative theories, there was speculation that Bella may have been somebody who was a uh, with a transient lifestyle, a person not too easily traced in life and thus not particularly missed in death. In August of 2014, BBC Radio 4 broadcast program suggested that Bella was a prostitute who worked the streets around uh, Hagley Road. According to police files, Bella had disappeared in 1941, which would fit the timeline. Um, locals uh, pointed out the fact that Romanies had camped out in the vicinity of Hagley Wood during 1941. Maybe Bella was one of them and had been killed by a member of her own community by an American GI. Well, with no concrete evidence to support them, these various theories uh, ultimately led nowhere. One straightforward and perhaps most probable hypothesis is that Bella was a homeless woman with no loved ones as a reporter missing. Quite simply, she may have been somebody who just fell through the cracks before she fell into the tree. 2018, a team of from Liverpool, John Moore's University, used photos of Bella Scalda, who created a digital impression of how she might have looked when she was alive. Showed an oval-faced young woman with close-set eyes and noticeably crooked front teeth. Well, as the decades passed, the mystery continued to grow, the sinister-looking tree, the severed hand, and whispers of witchcraft and espionage have combined to make this a tragic tale of an anonymous woman's murder and a darkly fascinating legend. But it is interesting to consider, is it possible that she had some uh, connection to the hall itself? We'll probably uh, never know. Well, our next case has gained some notoriety of its own. The uh, The victim in this particular case wanted to be a famous actress, a star. And from all accounts, she was quite attractive. You know her as the, the Black Dahlia. Name was Elizabeth Short. The morning of January 15, 1947, 
was dreary and chilly when Los Angeles housewife uh, Betty Bersinger set off for a shoe repair shop with her three-year-old daughter, Anne. On South Newton Avenue, they passed abandoned lots overgrown with bushes and weeds. But then as she walked along, something white caught Betty's eyes. At first, she thought somebody had thrown away a mannequin, discarded because it was broken in half. And she realized the two halves were the body of a woman. The, uh, she later told a reporter, I was shocked and scared, grabbed her daughter and rushed to the first house she came to that had a phone. The woman that Betty and her daughter discovered would become a household name as newspapers across the country reported every twist and turn in the search for her elusive killer. As I said, the young lady's name was Elizabeth Short. Uh, she'd come to Hollywood, California, hoping for stardom. Only to achieve fame um, as a result of her gruesome death. Frankly, it was probably the two elements, the, the Hollywood dream she had and the lurid details of her murder that catapulted the case into the public's consciousness, like few others before it. One woman had been sliced carefully in half, drained of her blood, and posed in a bizarre, bizarre spread-eagle display among the weeds. People suspected especially the police, that the killer might have been a doctor because the bisection was so precise. Rope marks scarred her ankles and wrists and throat, and police believed she'd been uh, hung upside down by her feet and tortured before her death. Certainly, that would have been a good position to drain her blood. Her mouth had been slashed into a grotesque, two-wide smile. As the L.A. Times reported, the victim of one of the city's most brutal killings, according to veteran detectives, uh, the, the brunette could have died from head wounds, a deep stab wound in the abdomen, frenzied slashing in the back, or from strangulation. Investigators really weren't sure what her cause of death was. Jagged knife wounds also found on the breast and the left leg and running from the mouth across the face. Well, police were able to identify the body fairly quickly. Fingerprints revealed the murder victim was named Elizabeth Short, and she'd been arrested for underage drinking in September 1943. And those that knew Elizabeth couldn't imagine how she, this vivacious girl they called Beth or Betty, had met such an appalling end. Elizabeth Short had been born in Hyde Park, Massachusetts, in July of 1924 to Phoebe May Sawyer and Cleo Short. Even as a child, she stood out with her raven hair and gray-green eyes. Only physical flaws noted in death were a few surgical scars, chewed fingernails, and bad lower teeth. Her mother, when interviewed, said she always wanted to be an actress. She was ambitious and beautiful and full of life. But she had her moments when she was despondent. Sometimes she'd be gay and carefree and Next moment, she was in the depths of despair. Well, apparently such mood swings are not unusual for some young women, but uh, Elizabeth's early home life was troubled. 
Your father lost most of his life savings in a 1929 market crash and abandoned his family the next year. His car was found abandoned near a bridge, causing many to believe he died by suicide. And certainly, when the market crashed in 1929, a lot of people committed suicide. Phoebe was left to raise her five daughters alone. The father of his family moved to Medford, Massachusetts, where Phoebe worked as a bookkeeper. Elizabeth struggled with asthma and recurring bronchitis, and the suggestion she'd, she'd move into a more hospitable climate led her to happily drop out of high school in 43 and head to California to pursue her acting dreams. Well, when she got there, she discovered her father was alive and living in Vallejo, California, and moved in with him for a few months. Unfortunately for her, the reunion was not exactly a happy one. He claimed that she wouldn't stay home, so he told her to uh, go away, go her way, and he'd go his. And he said he never spoke to her again. When police informed him uh, that his daughter had been murdered, his response was, uh, I want nothing to do with this. Shows you what a protective father he was. At one point, Elizabeth looked set to marry a major in the U.S. Air Force. Um, at that point in time, it was the U.S. Army Air Corps. Uh, named Matthew Michael Gordon, but he died in a plane crash in 1945. He didn't become the U.S. Air Force until 1947, after the Roswell crash. By 47, Elizabeth was 22 and made something of a home for herself in San Diego. She woke to her mother once a week. She said she was working as a waitress and appeared occasionally as a movie extra and auditioned for acting jobs when she could. One friend said she loved to see and be seen in the movie colony spotlights. Her roommates and friends told police that uh, she had several suitors. The media frenzy that engulfed Elizabeth Short's death really can't be understated. According to Los Angeles police detective Brian Carr, the case itself took on a life of its own. He oversaw the case between 2000 and 2009. It was front-page news in all the local papers every single day. Just two days after her murder, reporters began calling Elizabeth the Black Dahlia, a sensational moniker stole uh, in part as a nod to the Blue Dahlia, a popular thriller movie starring the lad Veronica Lake, and because of Elizabeth's dark hair and fondness for black clothing. And her boyfriends were also credited with giving her the nickname. Every development in the case, no matter how fruitless, seemed to warrant breathless coverage. When Elizabeth's friend said she had bragged about being friends with the famous film actress uh, Anne Todd, the wire service United Press International announced the police would question a British star. For her part, Todd uh, told police she never met the, the dead girl. One suspect after another was arrested, each getting a guilty man's treatment for a day. The last person to have been seen uh, short alive was a 25-year-old married salesman named Robert Red Manley. He'd been dating Elizabeth, and according to her roommates, had actually threatened her. He'd driven her from San Diego to Los Angeles January 9th, six days before the discovery of her body, and dropped her off at, a Holly at the Hollywood's Biltmore Hotel. Newspapers uh, nationwide ran a photo of Manley taking a polygraph lie detector test, which he passed twice. When his alibi for January 14th and 15th checked out, he was released from custody. I'm sure his wife was not as forgiving as the police were. 
Another promising suspect was 29-year-old Army Corporal Joseph uh, Dumas, who also claimed to have been dating Elizabeth. Interest in him was piqued when he said he blacked out after their date, which, according to him, took place just five days before her body was found, so he didn't really have a memory of what happened to her. February 8, 1947, Los Angeles Herald Examiner newspaper claimed uh, Dumas had confessed to the murder. However, when police checked his confession against the known facts, it was revealed, uh, the confession was revealed to be false, and he was dispatched to a psychiatrist. Sightings of Elizabeth in the days prior to her murder all proved false. Her movements were on January 9th, and the discovery of her body January 15th remained an absolute mystery. Now, having drawn a blank so far, by June 1947, the police had interviewed and released 75 possible suspects. The investigation shifted focus to the women in Elizabeth's life. Could the killer have been the girlfriend or wife of one of Elizabeth's uh, lovers? Indeed, uh, Elizabeth's sex life was the undercurrent of many stories with reporters and officials alike dwelling on the subject and actually passing judgment. The uh, the observation of police psychiatrist Dr. Paul DeRiver, uh, the averages may have caught up with uh, Betty Short, may have picked up one man too many. Keller then reached out to the police, sending a letter created from words and letters cut from various newspapers and magazines. According to the correspondence, uh, here is Dahlia's belongings. And enclosed were Elizabeth's birth certificate, her address book, and other personal papers. A few days later, more of her belongings, a shoe and a bag, were found in a trash dump. Manley confirmed that both belonged to Elizabeth Short. Killer didn't send a letter to the examiner telling police that he turned himself in. But, surprise, surprise, he never showed up. Then he sent another letter. Changed my mind. You wouldn't give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. However, several innocent people, both men and women, did turn themselves in, claiming to be the killer. By 1996, police had fielded about 500 of these confessions. Several of those making uh, false confessions were charged with obstruction of justice. It's interesting, whenever there's a, a major publicized uh, crime of some sort, you'll have numerous people show up and confess to be the, uh, the culprit. January 1949, a bellhop named Leslie Dillon contacted Dr. DeRiver and said he wanted to discuss the murder for a book he hoped to write. Well, DeRiver immediately grew suspicious. Dillon had previously worked as a mortician's assistant, meaning he knew how to drain blood from a body as had been done with Elizabeth's corpse. But without prompting, Dillon revealed details of the crime which police had never been able to explain. That was according to LAPD Detective Lieutenant um, Harry Hansen. After questioning, Dillon implicated his friend Jeff Connors, whom police interviewed but released. Investigators uh, refocused on Dillon, who they said was their best suspect yet, and he was set to appear in late 1949 before a grand jury. But the case was dismissed when the judge ruled that Dillon had been illegally detained. The British author... Pew Eatwell presented a theory in 2017 that Dillon had orchestrated the Black Dahlia murder with his friend Connors and Mark Hansen, a local nightclub and cinema owner. Hansen was known to frequently bed chorus girls and wannabe actresses despite the fact he was married. 
linked to Elizabeth because he had given her a place to stay in the months before her death. In addition, a dress book bearing Mark Hansen's name was sent to police by somebody claiming to be Elizabeth Short's murderer. His name was embossed on it, but Elizabeth had been uh, using it herself. It well uh, suggested Hansen had uh, connections with the, the police department, connections that enabled the, uh, the trio to get away with murder. Going 70 years after the crime, investigators continue to wade through countless theories. Most can be discounted, but one of the most intriguing comes from a former homicide detective who claims to have figured out the killer's identity, his own father. Los Angeles Police Department veteran Steve Hodell began uh, suspecting his father respected Los Angeles doctor after his stepmother gave him a small photo album that belonged to the uh, elder Hodell after his death in 1999. The book, which measured just three inches square, contained black-and-white photos, many of which uh, Steve Hodell recognized. And then he came to two images of a black-haired woman he didn't know. After painstakingly comparing facial contours and countless freckles, Steve Hodell became convinced the photos were of the notorious Black Dahlia. He told an Associated Press reporter in 2003, I love my father and respected him. His blood flows through my body. He gave me being. But now I have to look at my father at the, as a true Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, he wrote a best-selling book that I read, and it was interesting work. It's called Black Dahlia Avenger, A Genius for Murder. According to the case files released 50 years after the, the killing, Dr. George Hodell was indeed a suspect in Elizabeth's murder. Police electronically surveilled his home for three weeks in 1950. And soon after the Black Dahlia case was mentioned in court, when uh, Odell was uh, tried for committing incest with his own daughter, he was acquitted, I might say. Transcripts of overheard conversations include Odell saying, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore. She's dead. And at another point, he said uh, he might have killed his secretary as well. Well, why police didn't pursue Odell's not really clear. Officials have repeatedly declined to comment because the Black Dahlia investigation, while it's ice cold, is still technically open. LAPD Detective Brian Carr in a 2006 episode of the television series Cold Case Files says, I don't have the time to either prove or disprove Hodel's investigation. Too busy working on active cases. Hodel wasn't the first to accuse his own father of being the infamous killer. In 1995, a woman named Janice Knowlton released a book called Daddy Was the Black Dahlia Killer. said that her deceased father, George, had only killed Elizabeth, but it was, uh, she'd witnessed the murder as a 10-year-old child. She claimed she'd been brought to Elizabeth's house during her father's affair with the raven-haired uh, beauty, and the police documents indicated that they saw the man named George as a suspect further implicated her father. Well, after Knowlton died, her stepsister insisted that her memories were faulty and her book was trash. Another doctor was put forward as a possible suspect. Larry Harnish, a New York Times copy editor, suggested that a man uh, by the name of Walter Bailey could have been the killer. Bailey was a surgeon who, until he left his wife about four months before the murder, had uh, lived one block from the lot where Elizabeth Short's body was found. Harnish became convinced Bailey was a viable suspect after learning that one of the doctor's daughters was good friends with Elizabeth's sister, Virginia. According to Harnish, Bailey left his wife for another woman. 
from a doctor named Alexandra von Partiak, Partica. Alexandra allegedly ended up blackmailing the doctor because she knew a secret about him. And that secret, it was suspected, was the fact he was the Black Dahlia killer. Well, according to one of the countless websites dedicated to tracking the case, at least eight men are still labeled people of interest in one fashion or another. They include Los Angeles Times publisher Norman Chandler, whom some allege had dated Elizabeth, a medical doctor named Patrick O'Reilly, who allegedly met Elizabeth through nightclub owner Mark Hansen, and who was once convicted of a sexual assault against his own secretary, and an unidentified dark-haired man pictured with Elizabeth in an undated photo found in the trunk of her car. With uh, today's advances in forensic science, it's feasible that uh, evidence uh, in this case could have been tested to get a solid new lead and find the killer once and for all. While that might be possible, it's in actuality, it's impossible. Over the years, physical evidence in one of the highest profile cases in California history has vanished. Unless it's somehow recovered, the Black Dahlia mystery is destined to remain just that, a mystery. The LAPD has had evidence in a number of very high-profile cases mysteriously vanish. In the murder of, or the assassination, whatever you want to call it, of Robert F. Kennedy. This, the gun that was used by allegedly Sirhan Sirhan only fired seven shots. It was a twenty-two. Sirhan Sirhan um, was in front of Kennedy, pulled the gun, and got smothered by Rosie Greer. Kennedy was shot in the back of the head. And far more than seven shots were found to have been fired, and several of the uh, pieces of the structure that had bullet holes that were taken by police, vanished out of the evidence room. No explanation whatsoever. Well, another very famous case that I actually wrote uh, something of a book about was a Sam Shepard murder case. Dr. Sam Shepard supposed to have killed his wife. I came up with a number of other suspects going through the material. It was supposed to be a seven-page paper for a college class. I wrote 200 and some odd pages, investigated everything, even went and got copies of the transcripts of the testimony. Um, part of the reason he was uh, zeroed in on was the fact that the local newspaper publisher in Chicago hated him and did everything in his power to get him uh, indicted. Destroyed his life. He wound up, um, he was found guilty, and it was overturned by the Supreme Court for uh, the violation of his rights. Kept trying to go back to practice medicine, and he was a very good doctor from all accounts. But he was... Uh, Every other patient wanted to file a malpractice action and pick up some money. Eventually, he finished his life as a professional wrestler before he died of uh, cirrhosis of the liver, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, we don't have time to really go into that case in, in detail. We will be doing that uh, in our next show because it's it's a case I've always been fascinated by. Um, you know, quite often, police do not concentrate on the evidence. They concentrate on their likes and dislikes. Sam Shepard certainly should have been investigated, but he never should have been brought to trial. There was evidence that uh, his wife was having an affair. That was never investigated because the person that she was having the affair with was prominent. There was evidence there was another person in the room when she was killed. That wasn't uh, investigated either because that would tend to undermine the... uh, the police's case that it was Sam Shepard. Uh, when I say the evidence that she was having an affair is strong, I, I mean that. Um, the Shepherds uh, moved their master bedroom within the house. And they didn't tell anybody. I mean, why would they? And the... Uh, In one particular case, a neighbor man, um, he didn't talk to Miss Shepard. He was told that she's in the master bedroom. He went directly to the new master bedroom without having to be told where it was. To me, that's quite a uh, telltale clue that she was having an affair and having the affair with him. But the police never wanted to investigate that because the newspaper which was directing the investigation, uh, was absolutely positive it was Shepard himself. Well, unfortunately, as in most of the cases that we've been talking about, it's too late to really do anything, bring anybody to justice because of the time that's elapsed. Um, you know, in, in many cases, off Officers worked diligently trying to solve crimes and couldn't. And other cases that have done better with the Keystone Cops. This is a particular case where the Keystone Cops certainly were front and center in the Sam Shepard murder case. I'm going to go ahead and take uh, get the material that I wrote uh, about that and uh, bring out a book. And uh, present my views. Well, until... Tomorrow at this time, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.